Welcome back to the Evans Space Dermatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 102, Unintentional Unblinding in Rheumatic Disease Trials. I'm very excited to talk about this paper today. This was published in Lancet Rheumatology in August of this year. I would publish it alongside of Cody Bruggemeyer, who is an internal medicine resident applying for rheumatology. Highly recommend you consider him at your local rheumatology program. And Deshna Paul, who's a rheumatology fellow of mine who is looking for a faculty job. Both great people. Highly, highly, highly recommend. And both of them did an excellent job on what I think is one of the more important papers that I've published. I don't really keep track of numbers, but I can say that as far as ideas that I think I've had that nobody else is talking about, but that I think really matter, um, this is far and away number one. So with that introduction, let's get to it. I'm going to read you the paper and then just kind of talk about what I think this means. All right, here goes. Randomized controlled trials are the highest level of evidence for establishing the efficacy of novel therapeutics. Randomization minimizes bias and confounding, both of which frequently affect observational studies. But if participants and treating physicians know the group to which trial participants are assigned, biases could again affect efficacy estimates. To minimize this threat to validity, participants and treating physicians are often masked to treatment assignments via the use of matching placebos, unmasking, whereby a participant or physician becomes aware of the treatment to which the participant is assigned, has previously been identified in ostensibly blinded RCTs, and is an important threat to the validity of trial results. Blinding can occur through administrative or technical flaws in allocation concealment, but it occurs more commonly when the efficacy or physical properties of an intervention reveal the group to which a participant has been assigned. This occurrence is particularly important in rheumatic disease trials given the large number of idiosyncratic side effects of disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or DMARDs. Despite the importance of this risk for interpreting data from RCTs, it is rarely discussed and has been minimally studied. Unblinding introduces multiple important types of bias. Treating physicians who become aware of participant assignment might provide different types or intensities of adjunctive therapies, such as prolonged steroid tapers, this is co-intervention bias, and they might provide additional monitoring if they had greater concern about treatment side effects or placebo inefficacy, this is ascertainment bias. They might also consciously or subconsciously report outcome measures differently, observer bias. Patients who become unmasked might also report better or worse efficacy from an intervention, either because they inaccurately remember their experience, recall bias, because they feel better from knowing they received an active agent, placebo effect, or because they feel worse from knowing they received a placebo, the nocebo effect. Participants might also report an answer that they believe will please the investigators, response bias. Knowing treatment assignment can also result in differential loss to follow-up between groups, or attrition bias, or differential participant and patient in therapies or important outcome measures, compliance and non-compliance bias. The degree to, of these effects cannot be predicted, but they tend to erroneously inflate the perceived benefit of novel interventions. Identifying unblinding RCTs is straightforward. Investigators simply ask participants to guess the group to which they were assigned. Deviations from random allocation, for instance, if more than 50% of participants guess correctly for a two-group trial, indicate that unblinding has occurred. Some deviation can occur by chance, but large departures from this benchmark raise concerns about unblinding. To our knowledge, the practice of asking participants to guess their assigned group has rarely been performed in rheumatology trials. When blinding has been assessed, however, patients have often guessed correctly. A recent notable example from 2019 is the HOPE trial, a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial that evaluated the effectiveness of prednisolone for pain among patients with hand osteoarthritis. 
Patients allocated to the placebo group of the trial received an oral solution that was identical in packaging, appearance, taste, and smell to the prednisolone solution. Despite these commendable efforts to minimize blinding, 27 or 75% of 36 patients in the treatment group and 27 or 93% of 29 patients in the placebo group were able to correctly guess the group to which they're assigned. In a departure from previous studies that were inconclusive, the HOPE trial identified a significant improvement in hand pain. The degree to which unblinding affected this results cannot be known, but it is an important bias in the trial, and it affects how rheumatologists interpret the data. As observed in the HOPE trial, unblinding could be impactful in rheumatology RCTs, which frequently use subjective outcomes. The most common outcome measure in trials of rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, is the American College of Rheumatology ACR20 response. The ACR20 is a composite outcome measure, which is defined by at least 20% improvement in both the tender joints and swollen joint counts, and at least 20% improvement in three of the following core set measures. Patient's global assessment of disease activity, physician's global, and a patient's pain scale. Health assessment questionnaire um, and acute phase reactants. Four of these five domains are likely to be highly susceptible to biases from unblinding, as they rely on participant or physician reports of perceived benefits. Similar issues affect common outcome measures across a broad swath of rheumatic diseases, including systemic lupus erythematosus, the SLE Respondent Index, or SRI4, vasculitis, the Birmingham Vasculitis Activity Index, and myositis, the Total Improvement Score all of which have substantial subjective components. In addition to susceptible outcome measures, rheumatic disease therapies themselves might be an especially high risk of unblinding from several different mechanisms. Citrate-containing injectable biological DMARDs, for instance, cause substantial burning and pain at the injection site that would not be expected for a saline placebo injections and might not be reported as an adverse event. In trials of TNF inhibition, IL-17 inhibitors, and IL-1 inhibitors, for instance, injection site-related adverse events have differed by 7 to 40% between treatment and placebo group. Laboratory monitoring can also make patients or physicians aware of group assignments, as many rheumatic disease therapies can affect liver function enzymes, fasting lipid profiles, or acute phase reactants. Masked assessors have been used in some trials to mitigate this issue, but in many trials, the treating physicians and patients are aware of laboratory outcomes. Finally, the rate of idiosyncratic adverse events may be high with rheumatic disease therapies. These events include nausea or abdominal discomfort, diarrhea, and headaches. The degree to which idiosyncratic adverse events have uh, resulted in unblinding rheumatic disease um, RCTs has not been assessed, but we hypothesize that it could be investigated by evaluating the discrepancies in the rates of adverse events between active drugs and placebo age. To address this question, we performed a convenient sample of commonly prescribed rheumatic disease um, DMARDs for which double-blind RCTs that compared the active ingredient with the placebo were available. The majority of DMARDs were assessed as having a high risk of unblinding on the basis of our scale, low, moderate, or high. This approach has not been validated, but it highlights the potential effect of idiosyncratic adverse events. Brief break from reading this, I just want to tell you about this table we did. It's kind of a cool idea. So we said, you know, we're talking about how there's unblinding, but like, we think this is happening. Let's just take a look and see how susceptible some of these trials would be. And so we kind of created a scale, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. You can read the paper if you want to see the whole thing. We, we sort of assessed, you know, the based on the absolute risk difference and the relative risk, risk difference for various side effects. We assessed how likely it was for some some drugs to be unblinded, you know, and it, it's pretty interesting. So if you look at Anakinra, for instance, um, we looked at the 2004 trial. Injection site reactions happened in 73% of the people who got the treatment drug versus 30% of people who got placebo. That is a huge difference, and I, it's hard to imagine that doesn't unblind patients, right? 
Um, there are people who had upper respiratory tract infections. There's about a 5% difference. And so we said that there's a high chance that patients were unblighted in this trial because if you had a horrible injection site reaction, you probably think that you're in the treatment group. Now, they didn't assess unblinding, but this is a big threat to the validity of the study as we're, as we're talking about here. So we went through you know, TNFs and various IL-17s and Jackson, all these different drugs we commonly use. We applied our scale and just sort of estimated how likely it was for people to come unblinded. And I think the results are pretty interesting. Take a look at the table in the paper itself. All right. With that, back to reading. Unblinding is most likely to have important consequences for therapies with marginal clinical benefits. Some rheumatic disease therapies have large absolute effect sizes, and it seems improbable that unblinding would be sufficient to account for the entirety of reported benefits. In trials of IL-23 inhibitors for psoriasis, for instance, skin clearance is measured by the psoriatic area and severity index 75, PASI 75, differed by more than 50% in absolute terms between the treatment and placebo groups. Moreover, mitigating unblinding in such trials would be very difficult, as many of the observed differences between the study groups could come at the from the efficacy of the drug itself. Other therapies, such as TNF inhibitors for rheumatoid arthritis, have accrued a substantial volume of clinical experience and observational data supporting their efficacy, such that blinding is unlikely to have accounted for all or even most of the differences between groups. Studies where effect sizes were small, contradictory, or dependent on subgroup analyses might be especially problematic, but commentary rarely reflects this issue or acknowledges the potential influence of unblinding. The poor acknowledgement of unblinding in RCTs could be due in part to a scarcity of research in this area. The degree to which unblinding has occurred in rheumatic disease RCTs is currently unknown and largely unstudied. At a minimum, evaluations of previously conducted RCTs should be undertaken to identify additional studies where unblinding was assessed and to evaluate the adequacy of subsequent reporting. In addition to published double-blind RCTs, study registrations on clinicaltrials.gov could be reviewed to identify unreported assessments of unblinding. Future trials should consider surveying participants to evaluate the degree to which unblinding occurs. This surveillance would be unlikely to invalidate the results of well-conducted RCTs with large effect sizes, but it might affect the interpretation of studies with marginal effect sizes or high degrees of unblinding. Finally, methods of blinding should be maximized whenever possible. Lessons from studies using coded placebo tablets or manufactured flavoring should be extended to injectable biological DMARDs and other novel therapeutics. Advocacy from professional societies and the US FDA itself might be necessary, but in the interim, rheumatologists should assume unblinding has occurred to some degree in most trials. In conclusion, unblinding is an important potential risk to the validity of rheumatic disease trials. Unblinding can occur via injection site reactions, typical laboratory alterations, or idiosyncratic side effects. Studies with a high probability of unblinding and a low absolute effect size might be the most susceptible to this effect, and critical appraisal of such studies should take it into account. Additional efforts to ensure adequate blinding, assess the degree to which unblinding has occurred in rheumatology studies, and interpret trial evidence considering this potential threat to validity should be undertaken. All right, that's the whole paper. I have to thank Lancet Rheumatology for publishing it. And I have to thank, again, Dash and Cody for doing such a good job working on it. And I think it turned out really nicely for what we were trying to say. And I think that it's a really important perspective to have. I mean, when we're reading trials, we talk about all the various threats to validity. But this is just something that I hadn't been considering until I started thinking about it more. And I just think this is something that we should always be saying, like especially in trials where the effect size isn't very big, the uh, outcome measures are relatively subjective or would be readily amenable to placebo effects. And when we know that there's a reasonable chance that a patient who is randomized to some therapeutic would be unblinded, boy, you really got to take that trial with a grain of salt and say, hey, you know, this is a small effect size, high chance of unblinding. I mean, this could all just be placebo effect that we're in here. So I think it's really important um, contextualization for critical appraisal of medical literature. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in and have a great week. <laughs>